Um, I'll be reading our passage for today's sermon, which is from John 14, verses 15 through 24. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be together. Um, I'm going to pray for us to, to start off. Lord, we bow before you as a body, and we look to you, Father, Son, Spirit, and we thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us to come to you. You've given us your word to teach us. In spirit, you teach us about Jesus, and we pray, Lord, that you would show us Christ this morning. Show us your glory. Do what only you can do in us and among us. We acknowledge that you are Emmanuel with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember when I was old enough for my parents to leave me alone. Uh, and they would go out and be with friends or go out to dinner and they would leave me alone. And I can always distinctly remember the moment when the garage door would hit the ground, signaling that, in fact, I was alone. First, I locked all the doors. Then, I closed all the curtains. Then I might flip on the TV. Then I might go around and check that all the doors were locked. And then maybe again I would do that all over again. I was a pretty fearful kid, as you might realize after saying that. And, and maybe you're thinking that that was a bit overkill, and it was. Because it's weird. When everything was the same, just a few moments before that, when my parents were with me, I was fine. Or even if they left me home with my brothers around, it would have been fine. And yet being alone changed me. It brought fear, loneliness, made me do peculiar things that didn't make sense. And it does so for us. Being alone can even lead us into trouble. can take us into shadowy places that we shouldn't go. In life, we desperately need another to be with us. And yet, not just anybody. We need 
Emmanuel, right? And we've been walking through this Advent sermon series called Emmanuel, how God gives us himself, in which we're celebrating the radiant coming of Jesus Christ. And last week, Benjamin taught us about Jesus Christ, the word of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us. He united himself with our experience, our flesh, literally our skin and blood and bone. Yahweh, the great I am, the creator God came to be with us in Jesus Christ. And let's think for a moment how peculiar it is that Jesus would say to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. What? How could it be that the departure of Yahweh in the flesh could be better than his presence among them? Or how could it be better that Jesus isn't here right now among us in the flesh? December 2020, after a year that has been terrible, how could it be better that he's not here right now? Walking around, talking to us, teaching us, encouraging our hearts. Jesus gives us an answer to that question in John 14, 15 to 24. In verses 15 to 16, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He goes on to say later in this passage, In that day you will know that I am in my Father And you and me and I and you. And again, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come. Meaning the father and the son will come and make our home with him. Only God can show us what this means. And we pray that he would do so. Jesus here is making a promise to his disciples. And he does so following a description of what a disciple is. Namely, one who loves Jesus and follows him. He's not telling them they need to earn anything. He's not talking about works righteousness as it might feel originally. But he's simply naming the fruit that comes from love. You work for what you love. We labor for what we long for. It's how we were made. And Jesus is saying that we will work for him if we love him. And if you love Jesus, you're going to start looking like him. And so Jesus' promise isn't predicated on their perfect obedience. Rather, their obedience is a sign that they love him. And the Father loves those that love his son. Jesus promises that if they love him, he will ask the Father on behalf of the disciples, and the Father will give them another helper. Another helper, meaning one like the first helper, Jesus himself. 
this Holy Spirit to be with them forever. He has been with them, these disciples. He's been working around them, with them. He's been opening their eyes to see what Jesus is saying. And yet, in a mysterious way, they're also blind still. But the Spirit of God will be in them, he says. Even more, in verse 23, we read that Jesus and the Father himself will come and make their home with him. That is why it's better that Jesus goes away. He's going to send the Spirit to dwell inside his disciples, to dwell inside of us. Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, came to be with us. The Spirit, who is God, comes to be within us. And this Spirit of God descended upon Jesus at his baptism, right? Indwelled him. Therefore, the Spirit unites us with the living Jesus. And Jesus says that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. So by the Spirit, somehow we are mysteriously caught up into real fellowship with our triune God. Hallelujah, right? The God who dwelled in the holy of holies in the temple lives within your heart. No wonder Paul says to the Corinthian church, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We are temples for the living God. Jesus, who tabernacled in the flesh in the incarnation, tabernacles in you. To an Israelite's ears, that is blasphemy. And so if it doesn't jar us, then maybe we're not hearing it as it actually is. People died when they went into the Holy of Holies. And yet somehow, because of the work of Jesus... He's able to come and dwell within sinners in our suffering. The same holy God dwells within us by faith. And this is not just a personal and private reality. This is a communal reality. For each one of us is indwelled by the Spirit of God. And therefore, together, we are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit is what Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. Or as Peter puts it, we are living stones, alive because God lives in us. And as a church, we're being built together into a holy household. God is at home here. And if God is here and we are united to Jesus by the Spirit, then what does that mean for us? It means we have a new identity. Completely. J.I. Packer spoke about this new identity, this beautiful fruit of our union with Jesus in a beautiful way. And so I want to read that. He puts it much better than I could. He says this, Our bonding with Christ by faith and his bonding with us by the Holy Spirit entail that we share forever in the status and position that are his by virtue of who he is and what he has done for us. In English society, 
A commoner who marries a lord thereby becomes a lady. And one who marries a duke or a prince becomes a duchess or a princess simply by virtue of who her husband is. His dignity now embraces her so that hers now matches his. The father's present and ongoing embrace of his incarnate son as perfectly righteous to be honored accordingly embraces us with him for his sake by virtue of what he has done for us. This then is the divinely devised method of our reconciliation. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he achieved our redemption, and the Holy Spirit applies it by uniting us with Jesus. Our union with Christ by the Spirit is the means through which we gain all the good that the good news offers. We were guilty in need of forgiveness. We are guilty in need of forgiveness. We were unclean in need of cleansing. We were orphaned in need of a father despairing in need of hope and dead in need of new life. But now in Christ Jesus, because we are united with him, by grace alone, we are righteous because he is righteous. We are cleansed from all sin because he's perfectly pure. We're adopted because Jesus is the son of God, beloved of the father, And we're loved with the same love that the Father has for Jesus. Can we park out on that for a moment? That's what Jesus says in his prayer in John 17. He says that we are loved by the Father with the same love that he has for his Son. Infinite, unmitigated, boundless, unconditional We have been raised to new life because Jesus is alive and we are united to him. And Paul in Ephesians 2, he goes so far as to say that right now, because we're united to him, because we're united to the risen and reigning Jesus, somehow we are seated with him in the heavenly places right now. And if that is true now, how much more is our future with him secure? But because he never leaves his own. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, for he dwells within us. That's what it means that we are united with him by the power of his Holy Spirit. And yet, if, if this helper dwells within us, and that's what it means, that's the, the, the fruit of our union with him, what is the Spirit doing right now? What is he doing within us? And the name that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit is going to help us. It's translated here in our text as helper, which some people would consider that maybe that's not the greatest translation because of the connotations that it has in our culture right now which often uh, we think about a helper as subordinate. And yet the Holy Spirit's not subordinate. It comes from the Greek verb to, to encourage or to exhort. It's the name that means a person who is called to one side or a person who is at one side, offering aid and encouragement and guidance and direction and wisdom and comfort. 
He's like an advocate or an advisor might be a better way of saying it. Or maybe in our culture, in our concept of what this means is really a legal counselor, one who stands alongside of someone and advocates for them. So the Spirit is much more like a coach than he is like our modern concept of a counselor or a helper. I ran cross-country and track in high school and college, and one of my favorite parts of running cross-country on a team was my coaches. My coaches were fantastic. Coach Havy, Coach Bradley, and one of my favorites, Wally, is what we called him. They taught us about running. They taught us about training plans and even the cardiovascular system so that we might understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. They teach us racing strategies. They planned our training to, in a very detailed fashion. They literally would go on runs with us, ride their bikes alongside of us. Even in our workouts, they'd be doing our repeats together. They'd even be talking with us about our lives and getting to know us. In our training, they pushed us hard. They asked us to do things that we could not really believe that we could do. They told us not to let up. And I remember in races, there would be these moments where in a 5K, I'd be at about two and a half miles, about a half mile from the end. And I'd be trailing this guy. And I'd usually been trailing him the whole race. And I didn't think I could catch him. And And I'm about to tank And then I'd see my coach. I don't know why this makes me emotional. (laughs) Then I'd see my coach. I think it's because it makes me think of the Holy Spirit. I'd see my coach, and he would look at me, and he would point at that guy. And with tenacity and full confidence, he would command me, go get him. And I, I trusted my coaches. I knew that they knew what I was capable of. They weren't going anywhere. They knew what they were doing. They weren't going to leave. That is what a true helper is. Alongside of us, offering strong, encouraging, committed direction. And I wonder if we've bought into this peculiar belief that the Spirit of God is somehow this ambiguous force. This this amorphous energy that somehow just helps us along, gives us a boost of energy like an engine of some kind that we really don't understand. We think that the Spirit's a thing. The Spirit's not a thing. The Spirit's not an it. The Spirit is a person. He bears a character, a personality, a heart, a mind, a will, and a name, and he invites us as he's dwelling within us, to abide in him. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, whoa, 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 David, I don't know about all this. I mean, it sounds great. Uh, And, you know, I acknowledge, okay, the Bible says this, but if that's true, why do I feel so anxious? Or alone? Why do I feel like he's so far away? Or, why can't I shake this addiction? Why do I keep failing? Why do I keep sinning against my neighbor? Why do I deal with this backbreaking pressure to prove my worth? 
to figure my life out, to, to prove myself to my coworkers, my family, and even to God himself. I'm tired. If, if the Spirit of God is in me, and that's who he is, why am I so numb to my Bible? And though there can be lots of answers to those questions that contribute to our woes in the Christian life, at the core of that, the answer is that despite the fact that God is in us, he's working for us, he loves us, we don't abide in him. We so quickly walk away. We depart from him. Deep down, we don't really believe that that's true. We don't really believe that the Lord is in us and that he's able and eager to help us. That he's on our side, and so we seek to do life on our own. And actually, we prefer it that way. Sometimes without even realizing, we, t- we depart from the Lord in the same way that Adam and Eve did in the garden. Departing from intimate fellowship with the living God because they wanted the lie of independence. And yes, independence is a lie. Though we are adopted children, we choose to be orphans because we think it's going to be somehow better. It's like for every moment moment we abide in our union with the Lord, we fall into the rut that is our own world in which we sit on the throne. And it doesn't work. It leaves us empty broken. We come to church or community group. We see, we see the Lord. We find encouragement in him. And, and almost on the, even on the very ride home, we forget. We're already just inundated with anxiety and pressure and anger and frustration, impatience with our spouse, with our children. And we've totally forgotten what we just experienced and what we've just heard. We go throughout life not even acknowledging the Lord, thinking about him, Talking to him. Can you imagine being married and never acknowledging your spouse when you're in the same room with them? It'd be absurd, right? And yet that's what we do with the Lord. But the Lord who dwells within us pursues us. In his love, our helper within us rouses us from our spiritual slumber with honest, convicting pricks of love. Sometimes gentle, sometimes quite firm. He brings the truth to us through the people around us, through our brothers and sisters. He does so by his word. He tells us the truth about ourselves, about our impatience, our pride. The Spirit doesn't just join us to Jesus, however, and give us a new identity. He reminds us of it when we stray and brings us back. Jesus says in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Andrew Murray wrote this book called Abide in Christ. Highly recommend it. And he called the Holy Spirit our great remembrancer. And he also says this is a quote from him. The singular ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convey and communicate to us the glorious redemption and life in Christ. This is God's power at work in us. 
The Holy Spirit makes the living Christ victorious over sin, mighty to save, forever present within us. What Andrew Murray here is saying is that the Spirit of Christ in us doesn't just advocate to the Father on our behalf, but advocates to us on the Father's behalf. He convicts us of sin, and he comforts us with good news of grace, something that I just delight in about the Holy Spirit is he draws no attention to himself. No attention. He is always pointing us to the beauty of Jesus, to the love of the Father. In our guilt, in our shame, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that indeed we are the children of God. And we can go to the Father boldly and confidently knowing that he will receive us. And he invites us to rest in God's grace and in his real presence within us. And when we rest, we're empowered to walk in loving obedience to the commands of Jesus. Our helper, our, our coach, gives us the power to walk in newness of life. It'd be a different thing if my coach wasn't just alongside of me, encouraging me, screaming at me to go get the guy. It'd be different if they were the fastest person in the world and somehow they dwelled within me and gave me the power to catch him. That'd be a very different thing. And even that pales in comparison to what the Holy Spirit does. He empowers us to live in a way that we could never do on our own. Yes, we are faithless, and yes, we are fickle, and the Holy Spirit can make us faithful. He can make us obedient. He can change our hearts right now as we walk with him and abide in him. He can make us, help us forgive sin, help us persevere through pain, help us to love like the Lord does. And that power emboldens us to pray big prayers. And imagine what the Lord could do. He gives us a holy discontentment with the way things are, with the way things are in our hearts, in our church, in our world. We're not as we ought to be, ought to be and the Spirit can bring us there. 2020 has been rough, right? But 2021 must be about more than just making it. It can be about more than just making it. Even if we go into a full-blown lockdown, even if the, the virus were to go crazy, even if, if the person in the White House and all these things, all, so many things could go wrong. Even if you get a, a terrible diagnosis, even if, if you lose a loved one, no matter what happens, 2021 can be about more than just making it, and only the Holy Spirit can cause that to happen. So what do you want to see as we close here? What do you want to see happen? How do you want to grow? Who do you want to see come to know Jesus for the first time? Who has a hard heart? What are their names? The Spirit can do more than anything that we ask or think, and he resides within us. The power of God resides within us. Then why not beg him to do what only he can do? Maybe you deal with anxiety, and you need courage. Maybe you've been addicted to, say, pornography for years. 
Are we boldly begging the Lord to to change our hearts and to redeem us from sin like those things? Do we believe that he can? Or have we given up hope? Maybe you need courage to face your fears of doing some sort of a ministry. Evangelism. Outreach. Teaching children Sunday school. Maybe you want to see those that are far off come to Christ. Maybe you want to start caring about whether the far off come to know Jesus. And maybe you have been through a loss this year. Whether that's personal, financial, familial, and you're struggling to believe that God is good and you need him to restore to you the joy of your salvation. The Holy Spirit who dwells within you can restore to you the joy of your salvation. Maybe you want to grow in patience Maybe you want to come to the end of 2021 and actually live like God loves you. Those are all supernatural things that we can't do on our own, but God can. God is able. And so I think one way that we can apply the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us is we can have hope and we can beg him to do what only he can do and we can expect it and thank him for it. So let's do that together for a moment. Let's pray. Lord, we long for the day when all creation will shout your praise and the glory of the Lord will fill the whole earth. The whole universe will shout your praise. We long for that day and we pray that You would help us to understand the way that the Holy Spirit is moving us toward that end. And Lord, help us to to bring our whole selves to you. Lord, we know that you're you're inviting us to just give you more of ourselves, to, to surrender more of our hearts, more of our minds, more of our wills to you, more of our lives to you, more of our anxieties and our our shame and our frustrations to you and to come to you with our sin and you are able to change us, to make us new and you already have and so encourage our hearts with Jesus Christ. Point us to the beauty of what he's done, to our eternal status and position in him before the Father. We are children of God right now. And if that's true, we know that when Jesus Christ appears, we will be made like him forever, finally and fully. And we look forward to that day, and we pray that you would come, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.